I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the biggest stories in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On this Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is edition of the series, La Liga kicks off in Spain where the rain on the plane is falling on Barcelona and the parade of their new stars. Serie A kicks off in Italy where dominoes have shut up shop, but Juve, Mourinho's Roma and Inter all want a pizza, the action, and how the seasonal battle lines are being drawn across Europe's big leagues by old-timers and new. And by the way, welcome to our new home on the Football Ramble feed. And if you're a new listener, here's a hint of what we're all about. Every week we drill down into three stories from the continent with the best European football journalist and get to as many of your questions as possible. We always have space for a bit of dessert too. And Andy and Nikki will round up the conversation with their recommendations of a game of the week for you to enjoy and a local food suggestion to go with it. Let's kick off with this uh, tweet that I saw this morning, Andy. Reading any Barca article makes my head hurt. Make it make sense! You know what they're talking about? They're talking about the mess that Barca have got themselves into. How did they get themselves into a situation that they spend the summer signing up players, not least iconic players like Robert Lewandowski from Germany, and then we don't know as the season begins whether he'll get a game or not? Yeah, time is ticking down until they play Rayo Vallecano at the, the Camp Nou this weekend. And yeah, we just simply don't know what team they're going to be able to, to, to put out because they've not been able to register the new signings as stands um, and it's going right to the wire now. So that's not only um, Robert Lewandowski, Rafinha, um, 
there's been the, the, the revelation in the last couple of days that um, Andreas Christensen and uh, Frank Kessier, for example, who they signed after having such a brilliant season for Milan as they won the Scudetto, as Nicky will tell you, that, that Christensen and Kessier could walk away if they were not... For free? Yeah. If, <laughs> they, if they were not registered for the, 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 the start of the season. Now, there's been no suggestion yet that they're going to do that. Their, their agents are a bit twitchy and talking to the club, which... Uh, I think you would understand. Now, clearly Barcelona are juggling a lot of plates as teams do in the transfer window. The big change really this week has been that they've had a setback. Um, David's, David Cartledge has talked in recent weeks about the the palancas, the economic levers that have been brought down to release new funding. Um, now, one of those was to um, sell uh, 25% of the TV rights uh, for, for, the, for the next 25 years. Um, they were hoping hoping to register 667 million euros on the balance sheet. The way they did it, though, is um, the hedge fund that were putting in the money and then created a new company. Barcelona put some of their own money in 150 million euros of their money, and that was meant to be part of the money. So basically, they were giving their own money back to themselves. Now, La Liga have not unreasonably said, well, that's only 517 million euros because the 150 that you've put in is not new funding. And I think uh, Joan Laporta, the president's statement was, uh, La Liga have a different interpretation of it than (laughs) us. That is one way of putting it. So not only is that not counted as new funding, which is blocking them from signing these new players because they don't have as much money as they want, it's created a 37.5 million euro tax bill. So clearly, Laporta's everything is fine, like he's a little dog in a pork pie hat, like drinking a cup of tea <laughs> in a house that's on fire, uh, it is, is not quite being perceived in the way that he wants it to be, uh, at, at the very least. Now, losing... Christensen and Kessier would would be a blow. We obviously that's a, that's a that's a leap ahead. We don't know that's going to happen yet. But then does Lewandowski get twitchy? We've already heard Andrea Rezzani, the, um, the 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 Leeds chairman, say, "Well, we're expecting money from the Rafinha sale soon, like at the start of September." Jules Kunde turned down Chelsea so he could go to to Barcelona. So I feel that never mind what they're like on the pitch, who are they actually going to have on the pitch this week? I think this tells us a lot already. Yeah, I mean, I find all of this, I, I, I empathise with the person who wrote in because there's actually so many layers to it to try to process. I mean, Andy's talked about selling sort of a, a big chunk of the, the future TV rights um, to a hedge fund, which in and of its own, on, on its own, I want to sort of take and and sort of scrutinise for a second because it's the few, next 25 years. So you're you're mortgaging your future for fixing this problem right now already. And that in itself sort of is a, a dynamic that makes me feel sort of very uneasy because is this club sort of on a path towards saving more money in the future? No, it's not. It's, it's doing the opposite. It's building towards a more expensive future. that's what future. football clubs do, Nicky. They, they, Absolutely. They, they, they stake the family silver on the season. But, but for 25-year 25, 25 contracts. But, I think that's different. Yeah, and, and what's fascinating about this as well is, so Andy hasn't even got to this yet, but there's this situation with Frankie de Jong. Mm. Now, Frankie de Jong was signed um, under a previous ownership, well, previous president, uh, presidency, sorry, not previous ownership of the club. The previous president, Bartomeu, persuaded uh, de Jong to sign a contract extension, whereby basically he brought his short-term wages down and then 
backloaded the wages. So those are now coming onto the wage bill, which is one of the many reasons why Barcelona haven't got enough money at the moment. And so now you have a situation where Barcelona are also, as I understand it, going to De Jong and not just asking him to reduce his wages. The initial gambit was, oh, this contract you've signed doesn't look very legal to us. We probably need to fix that. So turning it into his problem, um, which I think is both of those actions actually in a strange way speak to the same bigger issue almost of if you run a football club in this way with these sort of regular elections, it is in the interest of the president who's there right now to find short-term solutions. Because if you find a short-term solution, then you're not there to deal with it later. It's someone else's fault, someone else's problem. And it feels like that just digs you a deeper and deeper hole. But right now the hole feels pretty deep already. You would have thought that they'd want to get rid of Frankie de Jong as soon as possible. And he's had offers from Manchester United. He's had they have offers tried. from Joe. Yeah, they have They've tried. tried. But he's still hanging. And that's part of their problem, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I can understand that he doesn't want to leave without the money. I mean, he was bought into the idea of playing for Barcelona anyway. You know, there's 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 no doubt about that because he could have gone to Paris Saint Germain for more money in the first place um, when, when he when he left Ajax in in, in 2019, um, but he chose to sign for Barcelona. Now it must be forget the money for a minute. It must be incredibly frustrating for him because he's gone there with a dream of being the next great Dutch player at, at Barcelona. And in terms of on the pitch, I think you can look at it and think. Who wouldn't want to play with these players? You know, never mind the morality of them not paying their bills and going out and having a shopping spree. Like, if you look at the actual players that are on the pitch, I would be thinking, I want to play with these guys because he's not been able. Myself, I wouldn't want to be on the pitch. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll leave that bit out. I'll leave that bit out anyway. But I, I think you look at it and you. You, you think, okay, I've not played for the Barcelona that I've been sold in the first place. So he's had to play as a number 10. He's had to play as a number six. He's done the uh, Frank Lampard thing of bombing late into the penalty box and proved to be quite a good goal scorer from midfield, which I think actually when he arrives in the Premier League, that makes him great. For, say if he arrives at Chelsea, he can do so many different roles that he couldn't do when he left Ajax. He's been pushed to do those roles because... Barcelona are a shambles and he's had to make to him he's had to play a centre-back a couple of times as, as well and he, he looked pretty accomplished there as well we're talking about a top-class player who's who's going to get even even better um, so I, I think that's immensely frustrating for him the, the problem all the way along just to reiterate is the fact that everyone in La Liga has a salary cap and is based on your incomings now Barcelona can go backwards and say well, the pandemic's neg- negatively affected us. It's negatively affected everyone. You know, Real Madrid in recent years have not spent, have cut back. I mean, basically, they were saving up to have a pop at Mbappe, which of course didn't work, but they were able to buy Chouameni, a player that they really needed like quite soon after that because they have, have not gone crazy on the market because they have... Um, tighten the belt because obviously rebuilding the stadium has, has, has been part of that as, as, as well. But Barcelona have, have not looked at it this way. And Laporta's way has always been speculate to accumulate, build it and they will come. Let's get superstars in and that will create the opportunity for um, selling tickets and TV rights, of which I won't get all the money, um, sponsorships, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is the Kevin Costner of Spanish football then? <laughs> 
<laughs> but it just... it's not quite Waterworld yet. <laughs> was... It's not far off though. <laughs> I wasn't talking of that, Kevin Costner. Build it and they'll come, Kevin Costner. Yes, I know. I know. Field of dreams. I know you know. You've I've just, just been, been a little bit mischievous there. I know. I know. Uh, but will will selling Barcelona or Barca Studios, which is their in-house mm. sort of production company, or twenty five percent of it, their content production company, will that help at all? Again, it's it's very short term. I mean, yes, it, it helps right now because you need to show um, La Liga that you've brought in X amount of money. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, um, which, uh, you know, Andy was talking about selling those, those sort of 25% of the future rights. That was, as you said, one lever. And I think they've now pulled four economic levers. Mm. And another one of them is is selling um, uh, this share of, of, of the studios. And... Um, Yes, in the short term, it, it helps. But in the long term, that's all revenue you're not getting because that's all revenue you're giving up as a, as a share. Uh, with all of these things, they're retaining control. There's nothing they're selling more than 49% of, and that's very important because you still mm. retain control of it. But it, it is it does feel to me, as someone who has never had to try to do this creative accounting that international level football clubs seem to do nowadays. It I never feels... thought I'd hear that from an Italian. <laughs> right. <laughs> it feels like they're building one. a house on sand, doesn't it? It feels like they're building a house on a foundation of sand. Uh, uh, what I think is the most remarkable thing of this, well, well, two remarkable things. Firstly, Sergio Busquets has been asked to take a pay cut a- again. <laughs> he's, he's taken more than one pay cut since the, the the start of all this to try and fit people on the Unpaid on the wage internship bill. for Sergio Busquets. <laughs> well, that, that, that's that's what Gerard Piquet reportedly offered this week. He said, "I'll I'll play for nothing." Yeah. And how has it got to that point? You know, one of the best defenders in the world over the last like fifteen years has had to say, "I'll play for free." I mean, that's I find that sort of dynamic quite interesting because, you know, to sort of jump sports just for a second in the apologies for everyone who will be annoyed about jumping sports, but. One of the most famous athletes of of my lifetime is Tom Brady, who won the most Super Bowls of any quarterback in the NFL ever. And he never got paid like some of his peers did. Like he always sort of, he was paid well. He was never paid badly. But he, he always was sort of saying, I'll take a little bit less than say Peyton Manning or whoever else because I want the money to go to the rest of the team because you've got a salary cap. And so it's I want like to the Dwayne Wade discount me. at Miami. Exactly. Right. And, yeah. and, and I think that sort of mindset fits at a club like Barcelona who have this sort of mindset of well we just win we just want to win but yeah that, that, that doesn't as a, as a greatest strategy it has flaws so of course it's not just a Barca problem even though Andy you talked about Real Madrid having their house in better order actually it's a wider problem in La Liga isn't it and this is the point that David uh, reminds us of on Twitter or at least asked the question why have so many other La Liga clubs still not registered new signings. From what I've read, Betis are doing a lever and Atletico had to ask Lamar to reduce wages to register players. This goes beyond Barca, doesn't it? It does, although not to the same extent, obviously. Um, the Atletico point is, is is a really interesting one because Barcelona's crisis has overshadowed the fact that Atletico have been dangerously close to the cap with a huge wage bill for a really long time and obviously they don't have the same commercial potential as, as Barcelona. Now the Lamar thing's a, a little bit different because uh, he was out of contract in, in, in 2023 um, they have given him a longer contract extension than he might have expected and spreading the money over that so that is the sort of thing that Barcelona ha- have been doing um, and clearly, 
one of the biggest problems for Atletico is they have got... And the, the, the problem at Betis is they have like God's own midfield. It's magnificent. But if players do well for you, you have to pay them. You have to give them a raise. And, and that is an issue. Again, they're not as commercially exploitable as Barcelona or, or, or Real Madrid. But with Atletico, their biggest problem has been the guys who come back. So you've got Saul, huge earner, come back from alone. No obvious move for him yet. Alvaro Morata has come back. We've all assumed, Nicky, that he was going to go to Juventus. But no, in the ultimate, ultimate little transfer window twist, in the final friendly um, bit before we go back to La Liga and Serie A, Morata's been playing for Atletico in pre-season, looking pretty good, linking very well with Joao Felix. Score of a hat-trick in the final friendly last weekend against Juventus. <laughs> what better advertising is there? Right. It's like direct marketing. Like, you know how social media apps now all like find their way of like all telling you exactly what you want. They're like, okay, we've we've found the algorithm. Juventus want Morata. We'll show him. No, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And I actually saw someone else speaking social media. Someone had a, a poll up the other day, which was the, the toughest quiz in football. And it was who does Alvaro Morata play for now? And the <laughs> Atletico Madrid or Juventus are two, two choice you've got. Look, it's it is weird because Juventus want him. Juventus tried to um, make a deal with Atletico at the end of um, his loan deal because there was an option to buy the fee. I can't remember what it was. I think it was around 30 million euros was higher than Juventus wanted to spend. So Juventus said, uh, can we negotiate it down? Atletico said no. And now you end up with Atletico who don't want him but weren't willing to go down on price. Juventus who do want him but aren't willing to come up to them. And I think probably now they've just gone and signed Philip Kostic. That's off the table. Um yeah, poor poor Alvaro Morata, who has had this odd career where it's never quite stuck for him anywhere. It must feel a bit um, frustrated and deflated, but obviously it didn't stop him from banging a hat-trick against them anyway. Just a reminder that you can get in touch with us anytime during the course of the week uh, at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adebayo, at Andy Brassel and at Nicky Bandini. El internacional alemán Militao ahí saliendo de la presión de Jordi Alba, tocando para Lucas, la devolución, cuidado a la pérdida, llega Rafinha, ¡qué golazo! ¡Gol! Let's move on to Serie A, even though Andy's already besmirched the integrity of Italian creative accountancy. <laughs> <laughs> um, or some would say I've applauded it. <laughs> <laughs> Who would say that? Jose Mourinho um, has been leading Roma, of course, over the last couple of seasons, and he's been spending this summer like this season belongs to them. I can almost see Jose thinking that and saying that. The usual suspects are there, of course. Juve, Inter, Milan as well. Jose, could he be the upsetter this season or not? I have already, and I will regret this, I've already gone on record saying that Roma are my dark horse this season. I don't think it's impossible. And I can't tell... I'll acknowledge this. We all we all of us are guilty sometimes of getting swept up in the moment. And maybe I am getting swept up in the moment because it does happen to all of us. But I 
I think that the the narrative around this team right now is is very compelling. For one thing, you can certainly say that that enthusiasm that they bought um, by winning the Europa Conference League. And I know people roll their eyes at it, and people have always rolled their eyes at it. But the the atmosphere that's generated in Rome around the club, the the difference in the mentality of the fans towards the club from from two years ago, and the the feeling of the players themselves is really really high right now. And you can scoff at it, but it, it's real. And then you get this manifestation of that, which was very visible, which was the signing of Paolo Dybala and nearly 10,000 fans coming out to to see him. You could see Dybala was sort of physically looked quite shocked by it and sitting there mm. and taking it all in, this scene of, of his unveiling. And they've had a strong summer. It isn't just Dybala they brought in. They brought in Georgina Wijnaldum, which I think is a really, really... Um, Interesting signing because perhaps I would have looked at them midfield and thought you're you're missing something. You're missing that sort of player. They have so far not really sold anything particularly um, meaningful. They've cleared out some deadwood. They've cleared out some big wages, and you start to look at the the front part of that team. And you say, okay, Mkhitaryan's gone. That's the one sort of biggest names, I guess you you could say, has gone. But again, big wages. He never got on with Mourinho anyway. Well, they did all right together last season, but historically they haven't had perfect relationships. Move him out of the way and you've got an attack potentially of Tammy Abraham, obviously, who had a fantastic first season in Rome, supported by Lorenzo Pellegrini, who is a brilliant, very sort of important member of the Italian national team now and, and the club captain and who played very well last season. You add into that Dybala, who has been mercurial, has been frustrating, but was Serie A's MVP, what, two years ago? And is capable of things that are quite special. And then you've got Zaniolo, who again, sometimes frustrating, sometimes not everything that everyone hoped he was going to become yet, but he's had injuries. And that's a four-man attack that you put in front of a midfield featuring Wijnaldum and, and Cristante. And I don't know, most of that looks pretty solid to me. I'm worried about the defence still. I question whether or not Mourinho is the guy who makes magic with this group of attackers. But there have been some flashes in pre-season. And I think what I'm sort of struggling to weigh correctly, and I think this is the, the 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 tricky part, is no question in my mind, this is not the strongest starting eleven in Serie A. So it just isn't. Inter Milan definitely stronger, Juventus definitely stronger as well, actually. But they've all got none of these teams is run away. Like there there's teams I think are better, teams I think are worse, but none of them is run away from everyone else right now. And what Roma have the potential to have is that Mourinho chip on their shoulder, that attitude, mm. that sense of us against the world. And I think Dybala is is the key to that because Dybala did not want to leave Juventus. Dybala has fought tooth and nail not to leave Juventus, frankly. He had Manchester United and Tottenham office the last few years, always turned them down, always rejected, even when there was more money on the table. He wanted to do his thing at Juventus. He wanted them to pay him like he thought he was worth. He wanted to do all these things. Juventus moved on from him. And of course, Dybala, again, big issue for him was staying healthy a lot of the time. It just rings so familiar to me of stories like Samueletto, Wesley Schneider, when they went to Inter, players who had been discarded by big clubs, bigger mm. clubs, and and arrive with that mentality of, I've got something to prove. Is Dybala that sort of character? Is he that sort of mindset? I don't know. But if he's ever going to do it in his career, he's the right age. He's got a manager who's told him, all right, I believe in you. We're going to make it about you. I, I think there's something in it, but also it's Mourinho. Maybe in a month's time it will all have unraveled and I'll look like an idiot. He's <laughs> he's the better football click 
than any of those other teams he's got linked with. Yeah. I, I think Roma is the best on-pitch click. I, I just think him and Abraham are going to be really great together. Mm. I think he's a much more suitable feeder of Abraham than we've, we've had before. I, I agree about the defence, definitely. Although I think Matic, actually, who's not been talked about that much, yeah, that, that, that was a player they were really missing last season. I, I think that, that defensive midfielder, so maybe that's a help in the right direction. Zeki Celic. Is he the same Matic, do you reckon? Um, from Chelsea to Man United, he seemed to have dropped in form. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think... W- at Chelsea. I, 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 anyway. I agree. And I think what we have to bear in mind at the moment is Manchester United is this strange talent vortex no, no one can reach their best form at, at Manchester mm. United I think you look at like Chris Smalling Lukaku who've succeeded in Serie A since, mm. after, after just really going sideways at, at Manchester United if we're talking about it in a Serie A context on uh, Zeki Celik is an absolute upgrade at right back as well really low-key good signing I, I guess my questions like going forward with Roma what do they do with Zaniolo do they keep him or, or or sell him? And if he stays, what do they do with him? Because everyone wants him to be amazing. Mm. He's not quite the player he could have been yet. Mm. I, I think it's fair to say. The other question is, you're talking about Pellegrini, how he's one of the best midfielders in Serie A, which I would totally agree with, how important he is to the national team. How... It was it was his team before, and now if everything works, it's Dybala's. So how do you fit the two of them together? This is, I mean, this is absolutely the open question: is how does that attack all work together? Because I think there's all sorts of sort of fantasyland thinking going on right now amongst Roma fans of, of all four of those players on the pitch together, right? Of Dybala and Ab- and of um, Dybala and Zaniolo and Pellegrini all behind Abraham in like I guess a four-two-three-one or something. Does that work? It definitely doesn't feel very Mourinho. It doesn't. And, and, and then, and then, how do you construct your midfield? Because I, I do think the strength of, of that midfield, and, and yeah, thank you for bringing up Matic as well, because I think you're right, needed that sort of muscle in there. But you've actually got quite nice variety between Wijnaldum and Cristante and Matic in terms of what they offer you. I like that midfield platform of three, but if you're doing that, then you can't have another um, four players in front because, you know, where, where's the, the balance of the team? What's the defence going to look like? Tactically, there's big questions. And I, I do slightly sort of look at this group right now and imagine that the starting 11, it's going to be Zaniolo as the odd man out. And that's going to be hard for Mourinho to justify if, as it appears, he's just told the board, no, don't sell this player for 55 million to Tottenham. Don't bring in that money because Roma do need to bring in money as well still. This is... Um, you know the same conversation that was happening in the Spain section, and, and the same conversation that's happening in every section. I think everyone's got their their sort of COVID balance sheet to to fix at the moment. There's their post pandemic losses to to fix, and Zaniola was the obvious sellable piece in that group. And the fact that Mourinho said no is is interesting. I think it speaks to classic Mourinho, who always wants to have squad depth, always wants to have almost ideally his, his two full teams. Can Roma afford to do that? Will Zaniolo tolerate it? Bear in mind that all through last season, this was a battle Mourinho had with the press right from the first day he arrived. You guys talk about Zaniolo too much. He would tell the reporters and then he would create scenarios to talk about him. So <laughs> it, it, it's going to be a thing that gets talked about. It's going to be a, a fascinating question, but on paper it's tantalising. 
You'd have thought that Juve, of all the top teams in Serie A, were the ones that have had the most interesting summer window so far. Brought in five new signings, of course. So, I suppose marquee names like Paul Pogba, Federico Chiesa. You're not going to get much better than Angel de Maria, etc. And yet there are so many moving parts uh, amongst that squad uh, that you wonder how they're going to make it work. Paul Pogba, currently injured, um, amongst other things. Are they realistic title contenders where they want to be after winning nine consecutive Serie A titles? But in the last couple of seasons, they've only come fourth. Are they realistic contenders this time around? Yeah, Kiers are already there, of course. Um, they've sort of been doing that in a structured deal with, with, with Bits to Repay over time. But Kiers um, and Pogba are almost the great the great questions I have with this team, um, Max Allegri, the, the manager, has said they have a duty to win Serie A. Um, it, of course, was the thing they did. They won nine years in a row and that very much, that era that Juventus went through where they just kept winning fit into the, the narrative and, and the story they tell themselves about um, the old sort of President Boniperti saying that um, winning isn't important. It's the only thing that counts. It's the, the Juventus mantra is, you know, that. It's just win. And I personally am struggling to see them doing it. Uh, maybe I'm being too sort of pessimistic for them, but okay, you go out and sign Paul Pogba, so much enthusiasm around that. I was excited about seeing how that would sort of, um, whether that could rejuvenate him. Obviously he's not had the best time at Manchester United in general, but especially the last bit has felt pretty bleak. And he's hooking back up with a manager who he had a great rapport with. I mean, Allegri and Paul Pogba sort of would in these viral videos in frankly in, in their time together in 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 the last time they'd wind each other up they'd self training and have shooting contests they really seemed to 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 twig with each other and and that was exciting but then immediately Paul Pogba who's missed 80 games the last three seasons tears the meniscus in his knee and you think okay well is Paul Pogba going to be on the pitch very much Kiersa who isn't a new signing but certainly they were hoping to have him back and get that new signing feel um he's still recovering from a cruciate ligament tear Allegri said we'll have him back at 100% in January. So that's half a season without that still. So suddenly some of that enthusiasm that you generate starts to, to dissipate a bit. Now, when I take a step back, there are still some things that are very good. I think Di Maria has got things to contribute to at 34 years old. And I think he'll fit on the, the left of that attack and give them something they didn't have. Um, especially while Kears is out, it gives them another option. Um, Gleason Bremer at centre-back had a fantastic season at Torino. I mean, really like putting all of the best strikers in City out in his pocket. Sensational signing, I think. But he is filling the gap of Chiellini and Matthias Delic. Now, Chiellini, of course, played less and less, but still, that's some pretty big shoes to step into. They've just, um, I don't actually know at the time recording if it's gone through yet, but it looks very much like they're going to get the deal across the line for Philip Kostich. I think that's a nice signing, someone who can slot into the left of midfield as well while Pogba's not there and potentially play in the attack later on. But yeah, he's he's like, um, I suppose he's like Quadrado for the other side, yeah. isn't he? That's the idea. Yes, exactly. That versatility you can use what pretty does that much anywhere mean up and down. For those of us who don't <laughs> get the reference there. Like he's, he's a winger who's become a wing back. Mm-hmm. incredibly energetic, very creative. And those positions, are, I think, are so key to a team like Juventus. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Like he's, he, you, can, you can pretty much use him anywhere on the left-hand side. And I think Juventus need that option or they'll value it. But I just, when I look at the sort of the team, I think the reason that I think the Pogba absence at the beginning is so feels so weighty 
you guys know this because you've watched Juventus in the last couple of years as well. Sometimes in the last few years, it has felt like the midfield of that team is just where football goes to die. Like it goes into that <laughs> midfield and then nothing happens. Like it just disappears there. And that's why potentially moving on Adrian Rabiot feels great to a lot of Juventus fans. Because I mean, this is a player who played 32 games last season and, and had two assists and no goals. I mean, that's what I mean when football goes to die. Nothing happens. These good players, nothing happens. I, I guess I guess my question, Nikki, is he, I think there are two questions. Firstly, is he the player to reconstitute that midfield or is he a player to be a good part of an already well-performing midfield, which he has been at Juventus yeah. in the in, in the past, I, th- I think, and, and it is a huge area of, like, like I, I guess it's like a building site for them, and it has been for a long time. I, I guess the other question with Pogba, the, the injury is the nightmare scenario, really, isn't isn't it? Because mm. there, when he originally got this meniscus injury, there was the question of, is he going to miss? Is he going to miss it? Is he going to miss the World Cup? Is he going to have an operation which will keep him out for four months? And they've gone for the option of a more conservative treatment so he can play in the World Cup. Is this denying reality? Is this meaning France don't get the best version of him at the World Cup? But in the importance of this discussion that we're having, are Juventus getting a half version of Paul Pogba Mm. for this first half of the season? Yeah, if you know when he's there at all, I think reconstituting the midfield is overstating it. But certainly, this has not been a good midfield. I think it's been a real weakness for Juventus, and they did need to address it. And what he offered, in my mind, was that box-to-box spark. Effectively, that's certainly what he was last time he was at Juventus. Yeah, he can play a, a, a long pass. Sometimes he's actually got great ranges. Game passing. changer, arguably. But yeah. exactly, he's someone who who wakes up a game, who makes things happen, even in a sort of difficult, not impressive times at Manchester United. You look at his assist numbers, you look at his chances created, they're not nothing. So he was giving something because at the moment you've got Manuel Locatelli, who in my opinion actually is also better as a box-to-box midfielder, has been crowbarred into this regista role because he's better at it than anyone else. You've got Rabio, who none of us even really understand what he does a lot of the time. You've got Weston McKenney, who's all energy, but I think still lacks that finesse. Has never really taken his game onto that level, I think, in terms of finesse. And then you've got some options. You know, Nicola Fagioli, who's coming back to the club after playing in Serie B last season. Maybe he'll turn out to be something good. There's there's a real lack of identity in that midfield. And I think Paul Pogba, more than anything, to me, was an attempt to reclaim some identity. Okay, here's someone who we will look to, who will do things, who will bring some something, just something to this midfield. And I think losing that's big. If I put you on the spot, who do you think finishes higher out of Roma and Juventus? That's a really difficult question because I still think Juventus' team is probably better when I go through it on paper. I mean, Dusan Vlavic has been there six months now. He should be better. Di Maria, as I said, will contribute something to the attack. I, I think that do you know what I think the answer to that is, Andy? I think if I have to say who I think is more likely, you know, which way we're waiting the coin to finish above the other, I think it's Juventus. Which one do I think is more likely to win the league? I actually think I might pick Roma. Right. Because if Roma hit their sort of peak performance, I could see it being really good. Whereas Juventus at the moment, I'm struggling. I think there's no chance. I think there's no chance Juventus will miss the top four. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think there's a chance that Roma could implode and miss the top four. Do, do you think part of the reason that you think Juventus won't miss the top four is because of what's happening in Napoli? 
Because this is a question, by the way, that mm. uh, Andrew has sent us on Twitter. How big a challenge will it be for Napoli to finish top four again this season with all the recent departures of big name players there? It's a great question also. I mean, I feel like even as I'm recording, maybe their, their transfer business would have changed because they've left it late in terms of fixing some of their problems. Uh, they have sold this summer or sold or said goodbye to actually mostly ending contracts. Their club captain, Lorenzo Insigne, uh, their deputy captain, Kaladu Kudabari, who I think lots of people felt in many ways acted as a real captain, certainly in terms of leadership on the pitch, really sort of um, crucial player. And again, I feel like this is a statistic I've repeated a lot recently, but if you look at the points per game Napoli got when Kudabari was on the pitch or not, something like a 0.8 point difference. So transformatively good player that Chelsea have signed. Um, and then you've lost Dries Mertens, who I think was probably more even than Insigne, the Neapolitan kid. Mertens was the player the fans related to. Mertens was the guy who loved Naples, who the fans had adopted and made their own. That goodbye video broke my heart. It didn't it? And, and he called his son Chiro. Oh, yeah. Which is the nickname that the fans have already given Dries. So, yeah, that'll make life confusing. But, um, yeah, it, it's the end of an era in Naples. And do you know what? Fine eras need to end sometimes and especially um, um, Mertens and Insigne you could make a case are they still producing at the levels they were under Sarri under Benitez no I think things have moved on but what are you replacing it with and the answer is sort of so far not that much um, what are you replacing um, uh, Koulibaly with again so far not that much there's a lot of last minute sort of transfer talk around names like to, to reinforce your tech like Giovanni Simeone I'd be interested to see Simeone get his his chance at a, at a bigger club. I think he has earned it with last season's performances. But do I believe this team's going to be better? No, they finished third last season and the fans are so angry right now. It's the opposite end of the spectrum from Roma where it feels like the mood will drag this club down even further. And I think, they, I think they're going to miss the top four this season. So is, is, is it anger with Di Laurentiis specifically? Because to me, it feels like not just the departure of the players but the way that he's handled it and not really acknowledge what those guys have done for the club. Yeah, except for Insigne, who got a trophy that was even bigger than he is. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, I agree. Um, it, there's always been an, an odd relationship between De Laurentiis, the, the owner, and the fan base in, in Naples. Because De Laurentiis, who is a character who often says things that can range from aggravating to repulsive sometimes, in my opinion, nevertheless has, from a business standpoint, I think run quite a sort of impressively tight ship at, at Napoli. Uh, you know, he's he's one of the few owners who's made sure that the club, his club isn't losing money, isn't trying to go a Barcelona route of spending what it hasn't got. And that on its own had created some friction. I think there were some fans who've always felt, as football fans always do, no, you should be trying harder to win. You should be putting your hand in your pocket and making that last push to, to make us win um, so there was already that tension that existed between them I think that right now that has gone further to sort of outright anger that you're not respecting these these players and what they mean to us as well as to the club you're not making enough an effort to to, to fix what it means on the pitch for them leaving there was you know uh, not just uh, De Laurentiis frankly Spalletti the manager has, has dealt with quite open sort of confrontations with fans this summer because they're accusing the whole club of being asleep basically of, of sleepwalking into a, an absolute mess and yes I think um, De Laurentiis is very very unpopular in, in amongst the, the fan base right now but 
as I said, he he's often not been that popular even when things have been better. Ancora Fabian Ruiz con il sinistro Fabian Ruiz è un gol fantastico. Il Napoli ha un vantaggio grazie alla perla di Fabian Ruiz. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. From what uh, you've been saying, Nicky, the Italian league is one to keep an eye on all this season. But at the moment, Andy, the Bundesliga seems to be the league to look at how the other leagues will set up because of what's happening there. The return of Timo Werner, for example, to Leipzig has all sorts of consequences, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, I think if we're looking at the way that, with the leagues that have started, particularly with the Bundesliga and, and Liga, and the way in which they're looking to go forward in in terms of attacking change. I think that's that's quite interesting. Um, Leipzig bringing back Timo Werner is, is is huge news. I think huge news in terms of um, not just where this season is going, but where they're going going forward. Because Leipzig have had a little bit of a departure in terms of the way that they're they're doing business. Because they spent nearly thirty mil on David Raum. Uh, the self-proclaimed most important signing of the summer. I mean, it's big talk from a left wing back. Let's face it. I know he's in the Germany team now, but they they they, they signed him uh, Hoffenheim on a, a free from Kreuterfurt last last season. So it's it's it's, it's big. There's no there's no doubt about it. Um, also, it means um, they, they've got a nice little deal. Uh, Hoffenheimer getting uh, Angelino coming back um, the, the the other way because he's still a good player. But Werner is is the big one. Because with Raum and but especially with Werner, that is that's a win now signing. When have Leipzig made that sort of signing before? Never. 
that they've they've signed these guys who they think are the stars of tomorrow. You th- even think, I mean, holding on to Christopher Nkunku, the Bundesliga player of the season. That's right, officially the Bundesliga player of the season. 34 goals last season, even though he's only just becoming an attacker. It's almost, he's almost in a sort of Dries Mertens situation, you know, a very, very attractive wide player who didn't look like he had the characteristics for a centre forward who is now playing in that position because he's so convincing and it proves that there are different ways to, to skin a cat. He'll go next summer. So Werner is there for the short, the medium and the long term because they have signed him on this permanent deal. We already know he can be really successful at, at Leipzig. They've signed another very interesting attacking piece this, this week for the start of next season. Benjamin Sheshko, this striker who's been following in the footsteps of Erling Haaland, not in terms of the volume of goals he's scored, but at 19 years old, I would say he's a better all-round player than Haaland was at the same age. Um, he can dribble round players. Um, he's got great acceleration, although not quite the same raw pace as Haaland. Better at bringing other players into the game, better at creating his own shot. And to think that you know Leipzig have stolen him away from... Manchester United and Chelsea and the other teams that were interested in in Cheska. I, I think United have really missed out on one there. He's going to be brilliant there. But the, the fact that Cheska is coming next year suggests that Nkunku will be on his way next year, possibly to one of the giants of the Premier League, possibly even back to um, at Paris Saint-Germain. These signings, bringing on board um, Werner particularly, is saying Leipzig want to reach that next level. They want to break through that self-imposed ceiling of only getting young players. And I think we've seen another win now striker signing this week in in, in the Bundesliga with obviously Sebastian Allaire um, trying to recover from uh, testicular cancer at the moment. Um, Just arrived at Dortmund. They needed to get someone to replace him when they knew he'd be out for a number of months. They couldn't spend that amount of money. They couldn't spend 30 million euros all over again. They brought in Anthony Modeste, who's um, coming up to 34, who had a brilliant season last season with Cologne. And it's basically a a very expensive short-term loan. But they feel that because he ticks all the boxes, proven in the Bundesliga, um, speaks great German, understands the game over there, in brilliant form at the moment off the back of of last season. And really importantly, unlike all these other players that were linked to them, like um, Memphis Depay, et cetera, et cetera, is the sort of player Luis Suarez was offered to them as well. Um, Modest is the sort of player who can bring other players into the game and take the physical load in the number nine position um, in in, in the way that Alec could. So... The interesting thing is how Haller has been saying, you know what, I'm here not just to fulfil my own ambitions of playing in the Champions League for the first time, earning six million euros a year on a one-year contract as well, which must be an ambition. I am there to show the way to 17-year-old Yusuf Makoko. I'm like there to be his, his big brother, which I, I, I think is, is, is pretty good. I think there's something in that as well, like because you look at him and... I'm just thinking about Milan and, of course, the last couple of years bringing Ibrahimovic and then Giroud and how sort of impactful they both were, not just in what they contributed on the pitch. I think it's Ibrahimovic, done so much for Leao, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Ibrahimovic certainly sort of, you listen to any of the young players there and, and despite his reputation, they've all talked about how helpful he's been and someone just to talk to. And Giroud, maybe still someone to talk to, I'm sure, as well, but maybe his sort of 
almost the practical part with him of just in the biggest games having that coolness about him and scoring some really important goals. I think there's there's been something ongoing for a few years in Europe where obviously it's not the formula for everyone, of course. It's not necessarily the formula if you're Man City trying to to win everything. But I think there's there's a growing number of sort of mid-30s forwards who are contributing quite a lot, I think. So it can be a successful formula for sure. I guess the question is, will Lewandowski be allowed to do that <laughs> this weekend? Will he be registered? In the meantime, Bayern doing brilliantly without him. Now, we always said, Don, didn't we, that they wouldn't seek to, Bayern would not seek to directly replace Lewandowski. Uh, and they haven't. I mean, I think in time, that's maybe Serge Gnabry as the centre part of a, of a three. The way they've done it in the opening two games, so the Super Cup, when they put five past Leipzig, last Friday, the first Bundesliga game, where they put six past Eintracht Frankfurt on their own pitch. Not played a home game yet. Scored 11 goals in two games without Lewandowski. Is they've done it as a, as a two. So they've had two up front in Serge Gnabry, Sadio Mane. It has looked unbelievable. So potent. That doesn't mean they'll blaze through the back end of the Champions League. You know, that they need some defensive chops to do that. And from what I can see early on, Nagelsmann's not really interested in that. <laughs> he, he, he talked about strengthening his defence. It's brought in De Ligt, who's been on the bench for the two games so far. It's like, well, it's, it's all a bit... Like, we're going back to David Cartledge last week. It's, it's, it's Keegan's Newcastle, but, <laughs> but, but in German form, really. Um, but it's, it's but wonderful to watch. Talking of the Champions League, which is the ultimate goal, you know, maybe not for one or two coaches, but for most uh, football fans across the continent, Paris Saint-Germain, PSG, have been knocking at the door of the title uh, for a few seasons now, seem to be finding the click between Neymar and Messi that they hoped for at the time. Are they now realistic contenders for certainly for a Champions League final? I'd have thought. I mean, I think they've been realistic contenders for a few years. They've been getting to the latter stages, and in the end, in the latter stages, you just need you need those breaks to go your way. And I think the biggest reason for me that they're um, going to be a contender probably is still more the third name Mbappe more than Neymar or Messi at this point in their careers. But I, I'm very reluctant to get carried away with pre-season games. I think people do that every year and every year a lot of it gets proved to be absolute nonsense. Um, but I, I I think that it makes sense and I think it's certainly... Um, yeah. I find it conflicting with PSG because the business side of things makes them a bit sort of gross to want good things for. But, sorry PSG fans, but that trio wanting to see what it could become it's exciting it's interesting that their spending policy has moved on to from Brewster's millions to dad planning for a camping weekend <laughs> I think that's that's the difference I mean the, the, as far as the top line that, those those first two games in um, the Trophée des Champions the Super Cup and um, now the opener against Clermont in the league where they won 5-0 mm-hmm. I mean it's Clermont who are one of the favourites for relegation particularly as four go down this season I'll be astonished if they don't go down so why are four going down this season? Um, because they're shrinking Ligue 1 to um, 18 teams so that means four go down and two go up and there's no playoff Um, so yeah it'll be hard work for them to stay out of the bottom four Clermont Um, 
I mean, obviously, it's, it's beautiful when you see the click between Messi and, and, and Neymar on YouTube or your, your preferred viewing platform. Um, I think that there, there are two big questions. Firstly, um, how, do they re, how, how do they work together when Mbappe's back? Because Mbappe's been nursing a minor hamstring injury. When he comes back, as Nicky says, it's his team. Mm. You know, at the moment, they're, they're having super fun, but it does still feel like pre-season. Na- na- name, <laughs> Neymar being invested is is very interesting. Maybe he feels that it's... Uh, that obviously, they're both motivated by the Cup, uh, World Cup, him and Messi. Um, but um, at the moment, Neymar is doing stuff like covering his fullback when he goes <laughs> forward. It's it's easy to forget with all the stuff that's said about Neymar. When he's fully invested, there are a few more hardworking players on on the pitch. Is that going to be the same when Mbappe comes back and he's conducting the orchestra? I think that's the question. The other the other thing is when we're talking about those sensible signings, you look at the arrivals of uh, Renato Sanchez, Vitinha, who's been brilliant so far, Fabian Ruiz, who's just coming over from Napoli. Those are the sensible signings mm-hmm. who are going to get them through the back end of the Champions League. So we're all having our end of summer. It's never going to end yeah. at, at, at the moment. That's not the reality of what's going to get them closer to the Champions League, if that's where they're Milan screening are as well. It hasn't happened, but they're pushing for a centre-back and it would be another nice addition, I think. Olivia Newton-John did tell us that summer would end at some point. <laughs> So on that note, let's get a game of the week from either of you. Uh, Nikki, first of all. Right. I'm going to annoy everyone by picking a small, a smaller set of clubs, but I think um, I'm intrigued by this game on the opening weekend of Serie A season. It's the opening weekend of the Serie A season, Dot, and so every game is, is going to be a treat. But um, Monza playing in Serie A for the first time, owned by Silvio Berlusconi and Adriano Galliani, well, Adriano Galliani is his right-hand man. Same combination that led Milan to, I think, 29 titles but in 30 he, years. Did he not used to own Milan? Yes, it, Berlusconi yeah, sold Milan. From, so he's gone from Milan to Monza? Yes, and they've gone from Serie D to Serie A in just over four years, so five years. Uh, so yes, it's it's one of those teams that I'm curious about because it's been a journey, because it's characters who we've are used to seeing in a very different context. But of course, what's also more interesting is is the team that gets put together on the pitch. And of course, as you would expect with those two, um, pockets don't run quite as deep for Berlusconi as they did when he was at Milan and signing the best players in the world. But he signed players who you wouldn't expect a team coming up from Serie B that's been on such a sharp rise to sign. So talking about um, Stefano Sensi um, going straight into team uh, Piscina from Atalanta, I think is a real coup as well. Um, I think Andrea Patania is close to joining there as well. Um, Gianluca Caprari going to be in, in the attack. There's a lot of players you would not expect to see congregating in a team that's just come up. They're going to play against Torino, who've lost one of their sort of, well, their single most important pillar, I would say, in Bremer, who went to, to Juventus at, at centre-back, but nevertheless have been a really upwardly mobile team and um, playing brilliant football under Ivan Juric the last couple of seasons. No Belotti, though. But no Belotti, who um, could also end up at Roma, by the way. It's another one that's been linked recently, um, if that attack didn't have enough pieces to fit in. So, yes, I'm excited about Monza and uh, Torino. 
And am I supposed to give her food as well? Of course, yeah. We can't watch the game without eating, can we? <laughs> we can't. We can't. Um, so uh, lots of people, and in fact, I've probably even talked about it at some point on this show, know about Risotto alla Milanese, which is Milanese risotto. Monza is also in Lombardy. It's it's not far away. But they have their own take on it, uh, the Risotto Monzese, um, which is still the same saffron risotto rice, which is delicious anyway. But they have a, a special sort of local sausage that goes into it as well, which just takes it up another notch. So Risotto Someone's there to start the season, I reckon. That's, you're going to have to compete with that, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be tough. Yeah, I was going to say, Monza, who are they? <laughs> but it's, offer me something better. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to offer you something from the second weekend of the the, the Bundesliga. Now, obviously, Schalke um, have, have just come up to the top flight, back to the top flight, uh, rebuilding uh, their reputation. They're already lightly sledged by one of uh, Dortmund's new signings this weekend. Uh, Nico Schlotterbeck did a, a, a fan forum. And the game they have on Saturday at 6.30 local time, they always call the top spiel. The, the the big game yeah, of, yeah, of, of, yeah. of the weekend, and uh, I know a bit of German, as you know. <laughs> Nico Nick, Nick, Nico Schlotterbeck was asked about this at this Dortmund fans forum, and he, he was um, that they they touched on the um, uh, it was it was organised by Sky, so they they, they said about uh, Schalke versus Mönchengladbach is is the top spiel, and he went, oh, they have top spiels in Schalke, do they? <laughs> <laughs> Immediately endearing himself to to the Dortmund fans, but it, it will it will be a really big game because they're the two. Two of the biggest games, uh, two of the biggest clubs of of the region. Schalke's first home game back. They feel they're a bit hard done by at Köln last weekend with um, a goal, early goal chalked off by VAR, correctly. A red card given to Dominic Draxler on VAR, correctly. But, you know, they, 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 they showed a, a decent amount. They have uh, Jordan Larson, the son of Henrik, who's uh, a really good striker I really like, who's um, come out of a, a difficult spell where um, he, he was at Sp- Spartak Moscow. He's had to move on from there. He scored goals in the Russian Premier League. He, he, he looked the business, has had a short loan back in Sweden. I think he could be an interesting pickup for them, as could Alex Kral in, in, in midfield. Um, but Borussia mentioned Gladbach have had a great start to the season. They won uh, 9-1 in the DFB Pokal game. They beat Hoffenheim 3 one last weekend. You've got some of their good players signing new contracts, which wasn't expected. Um, so you've got Alisson players going to stay. Jonas Hoffmann, who does a great job for Germany, breaking from midfield, score goals. He's going to stay as as well. So it feels like Farker has brought a really good feeling that they didn't have through a lot of last season um, with Ali Hutter. So I think it will be difficult for Schalke, but it will be a proper game. The problem is, of course, normally with Germany, we go for um, sausages, some nice roast meats or whatever. I think it's going to be way too hot for that this weekend. So look, go for a Bockforst if you must. Have a bread pretzel. Have lots of cool liquid refreshment of your choice. A nice side order of some homemade sound Actually, trout. the problem when you're talking about Farquhar is you're competing with Delia Smith there. <laughs> the Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.